scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 5 through 8. This is why I thought it was necessary to encourage the brothers to go to you ahead of time and arrange in advance the generous gift you have already promised. I want it to be a real gift from you. I don't want you to feel like you are being forced to give anything. What I mean is this, the one who sows a small number of seeds will also reap a small crop, and the one who sows a generous amount of seeds will also reap a generous crop. Everyone should give whatever they have decided in their heart. They shouldn't give with hesitation or because of pressure. God loves a cheerful giver. God has the power to provide you with more than enough of every kind of grace. That way, you will have everything you need always, and in everything to provide more than enough for every kind of good work. Last weekend, I had the privilege of sharing in the renewal vows of a couple that I happened to marry 25 years before. We happened to hook up at a wedding about a year ago, and so they said, hey, we'd love to have you do that, and we made arrangements, so I drove down to Greenwood to uh, do that little short ceremony, and as we were waiting on their kids to arrive, to be part of that celebration, she was catching me up on each of her children, and she mentioned that one of her daughters lives in Fishers, and she also mentioned, I think to suggest that hoping they might try Noblesville first out, uh, was sharing that they've had trouble finding that church because it seemed like every time they've gone lately looking for that church, they're talking about money. So I said, well, tell them don't come this Sunday. <laughs> so if you're here for the first time, I want you to know we don't talk about money every Sunday. And I hope that you also see that this is not a message about the church's need for money, but about making that spiritual connection between our life with God and our financial planning, because there is a connection. Remember what Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is Jesus speaking. So there is an important connection. Now, I had a conversation recently with my daughter. It was a really good conversation. We got talking about their financial planning, and, and I was very enheartened as a father to hear that they have got a very good plan in place. Uh, of course, she's married to an accountant, so I guess I shouldn't be surprised, huh? But they've... Uh, already made that, that plan where they're setting aside 10% of their income off the top, putting it into savings for their retirement, which is music to my ears. Uh, they've already bought some land. They're looking for building a house the next five to 10 years on that land, and so it's pretty exciting to hear about all that. But the one thing I did not hear that would have made that conversation even more exciting would be that to hear that they have some plan in place to give back to give a portion of their income intentionally for the causes of God in this world. And it made me a little sad. It made me wonder if I have failed my children. You know, I take a lot of pride in my parenting. I, it was my mission in life to make sure that they all knew that they were loved. But you know, I don't know how you are, but there's sometimes I wish I could go back and have a few do-overs, especially on spiritual matters, and especially this one. Because it's important to make that connection. It makes a difference in how you live life and actually how you, in a healthy way, approach your life. As a matter of fact, 
Jesus makes that very clear. Do you know that out of the 36 parables that Jesus tells, 16 have something to do with money? In the New Testament, you find one out of every, every 10 verses reflect our attitude on money. In the Gospels, you'll find 500 verses that talk about prayer and 2,000 that talk about money. So it is important. Remember that story where Jesus is talking with a rich man who came to him and asked what he must do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you do the commandments. Do not commit murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not lie. Do not steal. Honor your father and mother. And love your neighbor as yourself is his answer. And he says, I've done all those, but what more is there? And Jesus' response was to him, to complete yourself, sell all your possessions, and come follow me. Do you hear that? Come follow me. He was inviting him to share in the life that he would offer. And when he was saddened because he had many possessions and turned and walked away, Jesus said, and this is something we should all think about, I assure you that it would be very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Important words. So this is what I would say if I had that do-over with my children. I would remind them of the 10-10-80 rule. I don't know if you've heard it, but if you go to Christian financial planners and they know that you're a Christian, they'll bring this up typically. And that is that you should take the first 10%, put away for savings for your future retirement, take 10% to give to church or charity, and then you live off the other 80%. You know, that's a pretty good deal, isn't it? 10, 10, and you get to live off 80? When everything that you have comes from God originally, it's a pretty good principle. Now, some financial planners will, will fudge on that a little bit and say, well, uh, if you're just getting started, make sure you pay all your consumer debt off first, then start the 10% for savings. And they'll remind us that, you know, in the later years of life, you're doing those legacy years, Many of us are capable of giving more than 10%, and since it all comes from God, maybe you should think about it. Don't hold back what you give to God just because that 10% rule. But in general, for most of our working years, for most of our earning years, 10, 10, 80 is not a bad thing to go by. It's one way to help make sure, especially those of us that fall in that affluent category, which is really most of us when you compare ourselves to the rest of the world, and I know you don't thin, tend to think yourselves as affluent or rich because you can always find people wealthier than you. And certainly it seems every dollar is already spent most, for most of us. But when you compare ourselves to the rest of the world, we are very, very affluent. And 101080 is one way that you help make sure that you don't make life all about yourself. It's about something beyond yourself. And God calls us to that. You know, he tells that story of the, of the woman in the temple who comes and gives this insignificant amount, puts that in the offering plate, and he lifts her up as the model, the example, which tells us that what we give practically and physically has an impact on our hearts. There is a connection between the two, and it's so important that we're aware of that. Now, where does tithing come from? Where does that 10% figure come from? Well, it comes first in the Old Testament. It starts with the Melchizedek, but then right in the Jewish law, we see, G, we see God doing something very important to try to establish the nation of Israel as he intended it to be. Now keep in mind that God is trying to do something special and unique with the people of Israel. In a world <clears throat> where might makes right, 
in a world where it's often dog eat dog, God tried to set up a special society which would put him above all other things. And because of that, that love and justice would filter out to their relationships with all other humankind. And that as a nation, because they blessed one another, they would also become a blessing to the entire world. That was God's dream and that was God's intent. So to do that, he did something very practical. When they went into the promised land and the land of Canaan was to be divided up among the 12 tribes of Israel, God did something very unique. He gave land to 11 of the 12 tribes. Each of them had a spot that was theirs. They would grow from the fruit of that land. That's what would sustain them and their descendants. But one tribe did not receive any land, the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi came from, they were the descendants of Aaron, the brother of Moses. They were the priestly tribe. And all the other tribes were supposed to take the first 10% of whatever they produced and it would be given to the tribe of Levi to care for the spiritual life of the nation. They would eventually become the priests of the temple in Jerusalem that looked after that spiritual life. It says very clearly in Numbers 18, 21, I have given all the one-tenth portions of Israel to the Levites as an inheritance, their reward for performing their service in the meeting tent, which eventually become the temple. But it was more than that. It wasn't just a practical matter. It was also a spiritual matter. It was an act of worship to give the tithe. To give that first ten, they were supposed to take whatever they produced, whether it was grain or whether it was livestock, they take the best animals, the first ten percent, the top of their produce, and eventually, of course, that would be converted to money. 10% off the top to be given to God. I don't read this whole passage, but it says very clearly in verse 30, all tenth part gifts from the land, whether of seed from the ground or fruit from the trees, belong to the Lord. They are holy to the Lord. It was an act of worship to give God the best, the first of what we had. So that's where the tithe comes from. But I don't want this to be understood as a law. I've seen some Christians who... who treat this so legalistically and they get so complicated worrying about the fine parts of what's a tithe and what's not a tithe. It should be a goal for us. It should be a spiritual blessing. I think Paul says it well in the passage that was read earlier. He makes it clear that he didn't want them to feel pressured by this. Paul says it, well, I don't want you to feel like you are being forced to give anything. What I mean is this. The one who sows a small number of seeds will also reap a small crop, and the one who sows a generous amount of seeds will also reap a generous crop. Joe referred to that in his life. And Paul wrote this passage because he was doing a stewardship campaign of his own. He was worried about collecting funds to help the mother church back in Jerusalem where the saints were being persecuted. They were losing their jobs. Some were being put to death, leaving dependents that had no means to take care of themselves. And so Paul saw this perfect connection that all the churches he'd started throughout the Roman Empire, he sent letters, he would later send emissaries and have them collect whatever they could give and that would be taken to Jerusalem to help the saints there. And so it was a practical matter, but it was also a spiritual matter because he saw it as an opportunity to teach those new Christians about giving in the name of God 
to give of the first fruits. But he made it very clear, let it be a blessing. Let it be something you do cheerfully, not of obligation and not out of manipulation and not out of pressure. So let me show you a couple quick charts. This is one that you'll find. This was uh, done in 2013. It's, it's consistent. It keeps showing up year after year with the same general trend. AGI is adjusted gross income. These figures come from those who itemize their deductions. That's why it starts with people who make $45,000 because that's when it's first meaningfully helpful to itemize instead of taking the standard deductions. So based on that, that information, they know that this is the percentage of what people give of their income to all charities. This isn't just a church, but to all charities. Now, you've always heard that our nation's a generous nation, right? We kind of take pride in that. But I have to question if that's more myth than reality because you can see very quickly that uh, you get to people who give 100,000, that make $100,000 to 200,000, they give 2.6% of their income to church or charity. It drops down to 2.4%. It doesn't start rising until you get to people that are making in the millions. So there's certainly work that can be done. There's certainly some maturing that needs to happen in our giving. One more chart let me show you. This was shared by Jerry Montag last week. Not the full chart, but he had us write down those numbers as he shared with them one by one. This is the chart put together. And I don't need to make too much comment. I think it speaks for itself, but you could see that uh, we've got some maturing to go to do as a congregation and our giving if 10% is our goal, if that's our ultimate that we're striving for. And just think what could happen if everyone would just take one step up, just one step. What a dramatic difference that would make. Let me close with one more uh, quick few facts that I hope that will make us uh, uh, kind of excited about the possibilities. This came from Relevant Magazine. They first talk about tithing, and they quickly make a few facts that kind of reinforce what we shared here. Tithers make up 10 to 25% of most normal congregations. Only 5% of people in the United States in general tithe 10% to church or charity. 80% of Americans give only 2% of their income, which we've already shared. Christians are only given 2.5% per capita. We're doing a little bit better, but not a whole lot better. In the Great Depression, they gave 3.3%. And here's the exciting thing. If all believers, all of us who really attest our faith, tithe 10%, we'd have an additional $165 billion in this country to make a difference in the world. $165 billion. Let's take a quick look what we could do with that $165 billion. $25 billion, given five years in a row, could relieve all global hunger and starvation and deaths of preventable diseases in five years. $12 billion could eliminate all illiteracy within five years in the entire world. $15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues. And after going to Guatemala, boy, could we use that in some places. And $1 billion could fully fund all current missionaries that are at work in the world. Just $1 billion. That leaves $100 and $110 billion left for the local church to make differences in their community. That's what could be done. So I share that not to make us feel guilty, but to help us see the possibilities. So, again... Don't be overwhelmed by the 10% tithe. Wherever you are, just think about that next step. God will bless it. That striving is something God understands and sees.
Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we're so grateful and excited to know that you call us to be co-workers in your creation, to make the kingdom of God come on this earth. And whatever ways that we give that help make that a reality, we get to share in that joy, that work that you invite us to. Help us to see that giving is a part of what we need for our spiritual journey, to draw closer to you and make this world, to make this congregation what you intend it to be as your people. This is our prayer in the name of Christ, who is our Lord. Amen.